Good morning, Northbrook Church. Uh, this morning we'll be back in First Peter after a few weeks in Second Timothy. So if you would please open up to First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Uh, if you don't have a like physical copy of God's Word, we have a few in the back. Uh, and if you're actually using one of those, we'll be um, on page 954. Starting in verse 13 of chapter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to those who praise and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning. It's great to be back with you. I'm Jake Ledette, one of the pastors here, and it's just uh, a joy to be back after a couple weeks out of the pulpit. Um, just in case, in case you're curious, like when I'm not preaching, it doesn't mean I'm on vacation necessarily. I know like most jobs are like this. Like if you haven't done the job, you're like, man, what do they do for a living? Uh, I mean, I used to deliver mail for uh, 12 years, and so that one's pretty straightforward. You're either delivering mail or you're not. Uh, but many, many jobs, it's like, unless you've done it, you don't really know uh, what it's like. And so when, we, when I am not in the pulpit, I am often working. Uh, I remember I was at, uh, uh, when I was a youth pastor at Eaglesview in Saginaw, there was a guy, he uh, left one Sunday and he was talking to lead pastor Bart. He's like, well, I guess you're off till ne next Sunday. Enjoy your week. And Bart was like, I do so many other things. Uh, but um, so anyways, it's, it's great to have a couple weeks off uh, from uh, preaching. And we, me and Ginger did go on a, a short little uh, trip that was uh, super encouraging and life-giving and uh, a lot of fun. And so thankful for that time. Uh, but now happy to be back and happy uh, and excited to hop back into First Peter. And there's really a, a lot for us to do today. So we're just going to kind of uh, hop in and return to this book that just keeps pointing us uh, to, to this living hope that we have, uh, this living hope that we have in the midst of fiery trials, as First as Peter calls them. And, and the, it's important for us to realize that um, Peter's position, Peter's thesis, Peter's whole message is that uh, because of who Jesus is and what he has done, and because right now Jesus is alive, we have a living hope. That without that, we, we, Peter would say, we have no hope. Like if Jesus isn't alive, if Jesus didn't do what Peter said he did, then we have no hope. And, and the Bible doesn't really give us this, this squishy middle. You know, the Bible doesn't give us this like, oh, well, maybe Jesus had some good ideas or some good thoughts and, you know, he was just a man. Uh, but, but the Bible talks about Jesus as after he died, as if he is alive. Um, and, it, and it founds everything on that reality. It, it, it founds the hope that, that Peter's walking in right now on the reality that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, and so even like the common kind of good advice you can get from the Bible or sermon or just good uh, wisdom in general, those are something, but they're far different than the hope that the Bible puts before us in the life, death, and resurrection uh, of Jesus, this, this real living hope. And, and one of the things about Peter is he's just in this, uh, we see that he's so honest about life, probably more honest uh, than many of us. And uh, it's okay, he's just going to do something real quick. It'll be fine. It's, I'm sorry, I get distracted when everybody looks, and so I'm like, what is happening? But uh, it's all great. It's, it's, I'm less distracted here than when we were at the park and people were playing disc golf behind all of you, and I was just like, man, that was a great drive. Um, so, uh, First Peter, um, he is honest about life. I've told you all this many times before, but one of my goals as a pastor, one of my hopes as a pastor, one of, one of the jobs as us as pastors uh, at Northbrook is to help you uh, be honest about life. To help, oh, there was definitely some bu buzz. Now it's not there. Man, great job, Clint. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I can't point out his pink shoes this morning, so he's not wearing, but maybe next time. 
Uh, so that just to get us to be honest about the reality of life. And again, when we read the Bible, the Bible does not uh, struggle with being honest. The Bible talks about the hardness and the suffering. And Peter says that there's a lot of suffering in life. And actually, when you choose to become a Christian, it's likely that that is going to increase. Peter's not like, hey, become a Christian and your life is going to thrive in every, in every way from now on. It's like, yes, there's, there's flourishing to have in the Christian life. Uh, but it's in the face of suffering, not in the absence uh, of it. And, and if we're honest, again, we, can, we, can, we can't avoid that reality. I mean, if you've lived any amount of life, uh, you've faced suffering, some of it quite uh, extreme. And so Peter is, is helping us uh, understand that and understand that we need uh, God's grace in the midst of that suffering, that even in the, those times of suffering, this living hope, it's when it's most needed and by God's abundant grace, often when it's, when it's most felt, uh, when it's most experienced is in those times of suffering. Not, none of us would choose, <coughs> nor should we. Uh, but all, this, all the while, we do, we do experience it and feel it. If we're going to get a little context here as we jump back into First Peter. Uh, speaking of God's grace, look at First Peter 2, verse 10, a uh, passage we covered a few weeks ago. It's just the gospel here. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And this is what makes us and keeps us Christians, the, the beauty of the gospel. We were not God's people, but through God's abundant mercy, we are now God's people. And then it shifts in verses 11 and 12, uh, where Peter says, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so we see this shift uh, from verse 10 to 11, uh, is that someone that treasures the gospel should live in a particular way that with real hope, it will lead to people, like live in a particular way with the hope that it'll actually lead to people that aren't treasuring Jesus right now, that aren't God's people, to through God's mercy, becoming God's people. Uh, Peter's not saying that it's like, oh, we just want people to look at us and keep looking at us and see how great we are. No, we want people to look at us and see us in such a way that they start to look at the one we are looking to um, and that that would have an actual impact uh, in their lives. Uh, and these 11 and 12, I go back to that because it's actually a new paragraph in the English and in the Greek. It's actually like the heading for kind of the rest of the letter, but in particular, the, the three examples that we're going to get into over uh, the next few weeks, verses 11 and 12, are kind of the general idea as we get into the specific examples in this one today of basically how Christians should be Christians uh, in the societies that God has placed us. Um, and one, one of the main ways is if you look in your Bible, it, it probably has a heading on, in, in, on top of chapter, or on top of verse 13, like right above it. Does anybody see that? Anybody just look in your Bible, on your phone? What's it say? Submission to, submission to the, y'all all, does anybody not say something else besides submission to authority? I was just curious. Honor, honor authority. So yes, so submission to authority honor authority. So that's one of the things we are called to as Christians uh, in the society, in the cultures uh, that God has placed us. Um, and so here's what we're going to see. Uh, one, maybe you've already realized we all struggle with this. We all struggle with submission to authority, but our submission to authority issues are really more about freedom than they are about submission to authority. Like our, our submission to authority is a surface level issue, or to say it negatively, our, our struggle to submit to authority is because of the things we're enslaved to. Um, and, and I probably already lost a lot of you because you're like, I don't submit to authority because they're stupid. Uh, they, like if you knew the authority I was supposed to submit to, you'd be like, no, this is, this is not right. My boss has no idea what they're talking about. My parents don't understand me in any way. The government's completely corrupt. There's no way you would actually, if you knew what I knew, there's no way you would call me uh, to submit to authority. But Peter is going to press against that uh, pretty heavily. Because um, the reality, even if those things are true, there's still a kind of submission and honor Peter is calling us to. Uh, I mean, we, we can think of all kinds of different examples. I, I think about this with even in uh, parenting. 
when, when, we, when we think our, our, our authority doesn't know what we're talking about, it's really a struggle uh, to submit to them. And whether we're right or wrong, I was taking uh, Wyatt to uh, baseball practice a while back, and um, there was some reason, we, I couldn't fr- remember exactly, maybe he had some kind of, either his ankle was hurting or some kind of stomach issue, I don't know, whatever it was. He didn't want to go to practice. And it was kind of significant, but it wasn't significant enough for him to not go to practice. Um, and uh, so I, we were going to practice, and I could tell he was upset about it, like, the whole way, and that he wasn't really wanting to go. And that he, he was really challenging me, and, like, he was really thinking I was kind of wrong for making him go. And so uh, one of the things I was like, buddy, you actually may be right. I maybe should not be making you go to practice, but it would still be better for you to trust me and get on board with the decision I, I've made. Like that's still where, where you're gonna find thriving, that's still what's gonna be joyful for you and for me, that's still the best road for you uh, in this moment. Now, I got really lucky, he had like one of the best practices he's had in a while, I got like, he's like, Dad, I got one of the best hits I've ever had, and I was like, and he apologized, and it was great. Um, but there's, there, there are moments where I'm gonna get that wrong as a parent. There's moments where it's going to be a a little off. And and there's even sometimes, like, and, you know, many of us, when we've grown up in different situations where we've seen real things that are off in our parents. Like, it's not, it's objective. It's it's just, there's things that that are going on that we discern that are just not right. And, And we'll get to the ethical thing here in a minute. But for the most part, even when I look back as a kid and realize, man, my parents in this situation had no idea what they were doing. Even when I look back, I think, man, it would have been the godly, helpful, joyful road to submit and honor their leadership in my life. Not to uh, continue to rebel and continue to use any kind of discernment and seeing that things were off uh, to stoke my own pride. And even as I look back on those moments, I, I see that my struggle to submit was more about my sinful desires and the pride in my own life and less about however right or wrong uh, they were. Um, and so, again, just trying to help us to some degree realize that even when we can see something's off in authority, uh, in the authority of our lives, that the scriptures are still going to call us to submit and honor them. And we'll get to the, the ethical question um, here uh, in a second. Um, and so what does this look like in your life? What authority do you struggle to submit to? Um, where, where, is that, where is that really hard? And, and just to help, if, if the ethical question is, is nagging, I would say there's two things. If you're thinking about, well, what, the, just that kind of age-old question, what if authority is telling me to do something that God tells me uh, not to do? And so I think if you have that question going on in like a, a significant way right now that's keeping you from kind of acknowledging that you're called to submit, there's probably two different kinds of people that have that question. One is uh, you, you potentially are in a dangerous situation. You're potentially in an abusive situation. Uh, you're potentially in a, in a relationship or in some kind of work environment uh, where uh, you are being asked and coerced and uh, maybe even forced to do something you know is wrong, and you need help. Like you, you, need to, you need to get help. You need to not leave today without getting help because you're like, man, this, this can't be right, and you're right. It is not right. And so that, that could be one situation. The other one is, is the, the other extreme. Uh, or at least completely different. It, it's, you're using that as a loophole to try not to submit to authority. Not the abuse, but you're using this ethical dilemma like, oh, okay, but are they actually asking you to do something that is sinful? Um, you, you're not going there, you're just thinking, oh, well, if they are, that this is wrong, I don't understand it, and you're kind of muddying that with, oh, well, I shouldn't do anything God doesn't want me to do. Well, yeah, are they actually asking you to disobey the Bible? If not, then that, that's a different kind of question, and you're just using that ethical question to, to keep you, to stoke your pride and keep you from uh, submitting. Peter's wanting you and me to know that our struggle to submit to authority is because we're enslaved to some kind of other desire. Uh, let, let's start with what I think is kind of the heart of this passage, the root of our ability uh, to or struggle with submitting to authority is in verse 16. Live as people who are free. What a statement. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So just even the message to live as people who are free. So that message only has to go out to people who struggle to live as if they're free. 
Like we, we only need that exhortation. P- Peter only needs to tell us that because we are a people that struggle to live as if we're free. Now, if we're thinking about physical freedom or slavery, if you know, you ask 10 people, hey, would you rather be free or rather be a slave? Surely 10 out of 10 are like, hey, I'm going to choose the freedom thing. Um, but, but Peter is talking about a, a spiritual, emotional, mental uh, slavery and freedom. Uh, that, that's not just this physical reality and that in those, those realms, we all struggle with choosing slavery. We all ch- struggle with, okay, I can live as if I'm free, but there's these things that I choose that tend to enslave me. Um, and so before we get to freedom, we have to understand slavery. He, he uh, unpacks it so clearly in 2 Peter 2, 19. He says this, he says, they promise them freedom. He's actually talking about some false teachers, but you could insert in they, you could put the myriad of struggles that we tend to be tempted towards. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. And then listen to this. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. It's incredibly straightforward. What tends to overcome you? What are you tempted uh, to completely submit yourself to, whether you really want to or not? That is the thing that enslaves you, and that is the enemy of your freedom, and that is what is getting in the way of you being able and willing uh, to submit to the different authorities in your life. You can think of it in all kinds of different ways. What desire keep you from living free? What desires continue to overcome you? They may even be good desires, but they become ultimate desires. Or maybe they're just in and of themselves bad desires, and they keep you from living free. What emotion? Emotion that you struggle just to continue to struggle with it overtaking you in kind of this ultimate way. What, what emotion is that that you're tempted to just be overwhelmed by um, and, and let rule your life? Or this, what, what goal, what pursuit keeps you from living free. That, again, it could even be a good pursuit, a good, a good goal, but it just, it, it enslaves you. Uh, you. You can't think about anything else, and you arrange everything around this kind of pursuit. Well, then, what is that? that that's slavery. That's slavery to that very thing. That's just how it works. And obviously, desire, emotion, and pursuits are not evil, but just that verse, whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved. And the reality is this is a universal struggle. I think even sometimes, maybe as you're thinking right now, you can, uh, you can be tempted to shame because you're like, man, there's so much of that in my life. There's so much of that in all of our lives. There's so much temptation. None of us escape uh, this temptation. That's why it's this, this uh, universal call to live uh, free. Uh, it's this universal struggle. And this is why the gospel is good news because we're all captive and enslaved to a myriad of things that lead to destruction. And the gospel goes out to us in all of those struggles. And again, even as we think about those different things we might be struggling with, they, they can, there's a spectrum. They're, they're nagging struggles. Uh, maybe we, we realize pride or anger and anxiety and fear just kind of seeps out in our reactions and conversations much more than we would like it to. Maybe we look, work long hours to, to prove ourselves while we neglect other important family matters or other things that God has called us to. They can be those kind of nagging daily struggles, but they can also be devastating, like life and death kind of struggles. Like, again, as, even as we think about the difference between physical slavery and spiritual, mental, emotional slavery, it's not to say that spiritual, mental, and emotional slavery cannot be devastating. It, it, it can lead to the most devastating of things. Um, it, it can lead to addiction. It can lead to things that just captivates and, and dominates the entirety of Uh, of our life. It it can lead to abusiveness. It can lead to us having abusive actions in our life because we are dominated by some aspect uh, of our life. Obviously, it can lead to suicidal ideation. There's there's so many things uh, that this kind of slavery that can come into our lives and keep us from being free uh, can can lead to. Um, And so we all need more than a, a sermon uh, but again, if you just like if you're in an abusive situation, if you're in that second category, I would encourage you to not leave here uh, unless you until you reach out uh, to get help. 
Uh, but, but here is the reality. So that is, it's a little picture of how the Bible talks about the, the kind of slavery that we can uh, have going on in our lives. But the work of Jesus is powerful and practical. It's not ethereal. It's not just out there. It's like those very things are what Jesus can do. This is what communion's about. It's the tangibleness of the gospel. It's to realize that, that this, this thing that God has done thousands of years ago is the most ultimate thing in all of reality. It's the ultimate, it's the truth. There, there's no other truth that can be had that isn't attached and connected to this truth. And so there's actual power in the actual gospel for those, those areas of our life that we feel overpower us, overtake us, and enslave us. This is the good news of the gospel. If there's bad news in slavery, then it makes the good news of Jesus all the more good. And again, sometimes we don't see, I say this all the time, but sometimes we don't see the goodness of the good news because, again, we're just not honest about the bad news in our life. We're, we're, we're not really honest about the ways we struggle. We're not really honest about even the suffering that's come into our life or the suffering we've caused in our own life. We try to minimize it and we try to dismiss it, and in so doing, we miss out on the beauty uh, of all that Jesus has come to save us from. He frees us from the real slavery uh, in our lives. I just think, I mean, even if you just think about your story for a minute, I think about all the things I have been enslaved to and desires that have overcome me. I think about even, again, in my upbringing and coming to faith, like I just, uh, I, I had desires that just ran rampant in seasons of my life where I gave myself completely over to those desires. Um, and then in coming to faith, one of the things I struggled with was actually realizing, okay, God saved me from that, but now it's up to me to do good and to be good and to be better and to earn God's love and to earn his favor and to like do this Christian thing. I have to perform in a particular way. And so I needed Jesus to save me from all of that. Not, not just my sinful desires, but also my wrong thinking to think I could actually do what I needed to do to please him. Um, and, and by God's grace, again, his, his gospel is powerful. Uh, to save me from, from all of those things as it is for you too. What was that like for you in your life? Um, it's Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So what Peter's talking about is a theme throughout the scriptures. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is the invitation to non-Christians and the ongoing call to Christians. Like, have you truly been set free by Jesus? And to do that, it means looking at the things that you're enslaved to in your life and saying, Jesus died for, for, to free me from these very things. This is what keeps us from like the cultural idea of following Jesus like the idea of, okay, I just kind of profess Christ and I'm walking with him and just enjoying maybe the, the good aspects of Christianity. Like coming to faith means that you admit that there are things in your life that you are enslaved to that are not good for you, that are opposed to who God is and what he wants for you. And that Jesus came to save you from those very things. That his life, death, and resurrection was sufficient to forgive you, and to call you into a life of, of following him away from those things. This is why, again, the culture of Christianity that says, man, I can have Jesus and I can have all of the sinful desires I've ever wanted. That just doesn't gel with, with the scriptures, how the scriptures talk. Christ came to set us free, not keep us enslaved. Um, that's what he has come to do. So this is, has that happened in your life? Have you put your faith in his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his living presence reigning over all creation right now? You are serving something right now. All of us are. Why not serve the one that created you and loves you so much that he died for you? And then Christian, have you seen how easy we submit again to the yoke of slavery? Have you seen that Galatians 5 idea? How easy as Christians, we love Jesus, we're following him, but yet here we find ourselves back. Uh, I used to lead these groups a while back, go through the Exodus narrative, and there was this line in them, um, it was called voluntary slavery. It was like the idea of God has set us free, but yet we find ourselves volunteering for that same slavery he has set us free from. 
And here's the thing, that is the process of the Christian life, is to see that, to confess that, to enjoy his grace and his gospel anew, and to ask for the Spirit's kind of sustaining, empowering presence to keep you continually walking free from that. And then to fall back in, and then to come to Jesus again and see his presence and his gospel and his sufficiency of all that he's done anew, and to ask for the Spirit's empowering presence to help you continue uh, to walk in freedom. And sometimes that's many times a day, sometimes that's many times a week, that's just whatever, you know, wherever we are in that struggle, but that's the call and the road for us uh, that are Christians, that have turned to him. Again, it's not this one and done kind of thing. Um, that's, that's just not life. Um, and so Peter is saying with our whole lives, our heart, our soul, mind, and strength, we are to live as free people. But free people who willingly choose, first and foremost, to serve God, as verse 16 says. And it's only from that posture that we're able to, look at verse 13, be subject to all human institutions. So here's the premise that Peter's saying is only free people can submit. Only free people can submit. And I mean heart, soul, mind, and strength kind of submission. Uh, people get this wrong all the time, especially I think of like abusive husbands. One of the uh, kind of consistency at times in abusive husbands is they think they can force submission. And the reality is they, they, they may be able to coerce outward behavior while they uh, destroy and crush souls and embitter hearts towards them. Or, or even just, we've all had bosses like this. Like they got a little bit of power and then they're just like, oh my goodness. Um, and and they, they try to force submission and everybody hates them. Um, and we, we've all experienced that. Maybe we've been there. Maybe we've had that taste of power and we wanted to, to submit, make people submit uh, in our lives. But you can't do that. You can't, you can't force, no one can do that. It can't, it can't happen. Uh, you can only choose to submit. Uh, you can only choose, only free people can choose to submit. You can't make me submit. I can't make you submit. Um, but we can, I can choose, and as can you, that we are to be subject to every institution for the Lord's sake. And this comes from people who are free. Um, and so it's with this freedom, again, Peter calls us to submit. But he reminds us of the cause. Look back at verse 13. Peter's just always reminding us of the root cause, for the Lord's sake. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Um, and, and so this is just really instructive in, in all kinds of different ways. So if we're thinking about the, the actual submission in our lives, and, and even uh, every human institution, that, that Greek uh, word there could be uh, translated creation. So it's, Peter is definitely talking about government because he's mentioning uh, the emperor, but the idea, it's just this broader principle. Whatever institution we are in or a part of uh, that we are, Peter is saying, we should submit to that very thing, but it should be for the Lord's sake. And so this little phrase just uh, instructs so helpfully because one, even the, the selfish reasons we would be a part of things, it assaults that. Like it doesn't, like if we're going to join something, it needs to be for the Lord's sake. That when we sign up to be a part of a group or a part of a sports thing or a part of a club or whatever we're doing, we should do that for the Lord's sake. And there's all kinds of different sinful reasons we would choose to be a part of that. And we should, it's a good question to ask. I mean, am I doing this for the Lord's sake? And then when we join or when we are a part of whatever that group or organization is, when we go to be a part of it, we should continually ask, hey, am I still doing this for the Lord's sake? And, and this just helps us, helps us evaluate our motives, helps us keep our heart right, helps us remind us that we should be a part of what God is doing in this place, that when I go to work, I'm going to work not just to earn an income, not just to uh, hang out, not just to do whatever, but I'm going to work, whatever that work might be, for the Lord's sake. Um, it's, it's a good uh, just accountability question uh, to, to continue to uh, ask ourselves, and, and it, it presses against our selfish motives, and it just keeps us reined in a bit if we ask that. So we want to be on a sports team. We love sports. We want to go join something, and we can do that for the Lord's sake, but could we join three of them for the Lord's sake? Could we be on three hockey teams? Sorry, I'm just sorry, David. Um, could we be on one hockey? You know, like what we have desires, and those desires aren't bad, um, but when we think about the Lord's sake, like, it, it helps temper 
uh, even those good desires and, and uh, you know, goals that we have. So that's one thing it does. And then it's just that ethical dilemma. It, it just it clears that up. This little phrase, for the Lord's sake. So if we can't submit to something because it's not for the Lord's sake, then we should not submit. We should not t- submit to things that we can't do for the Lord's sake. But again, this is what God has told us that we shouldn't do. This isn't like our preference. This isn't our, oh, we don't like this. This is God says not to do this. They are telling me to do this. I should not do that. Uh, this is that. I mean, it's just, it's so, it, it is pretty straightforward. Uh, and obviously some examples are, are clearer than others. Like when the Bible, so the Bible clearly tells us not to murder, so we should never be a part of something that calls us to murder. We should never submit to that action, no matter who is telling us uh, to do that. Uh, that, That's a clear example. And now definitely there are more complex uh, issues as you kind of think through that. But again, as we think of submitting to our authority, that's such a small fraction of submitting to authority in our life. Um, most of it it has nothing to do with that. Uh, Most of it is our own pride and our own arrogance and our own putting ourselves above others that that keeps us uh, from submitting. But obviously we should not submit to things uh, where the Lord is telling us we should should not do that. Um, Simply no one should ever sin because someone in authority is asking them to do that. Um, And then, you know, another thing I think as we submit to uh, authority, one of the things that just has to be present in our lives is actually walking in the authority God has given us. So there, there's just so many examples of horrible authority. Uh, there's so many examples in the church, uh, in the culture, in the world, in history. I mean, there, there, there's a long list uh, of horrible authority. And many of us have had personal run-ins with horrible authority. Uh, a parent, uh, again, someone uh, in our lives, uh, a, a government, uh, a re- uh, something going on uh, that's out of our control as we are a, a citizen in a country, this country or another country. Um, and, and there's so many different things. And so one of the things we can do is to actually, whatever authority God has given us, we can actually walk in that in a godly way. I, I think about, um, I sent this, out in the email, but even dads, the, the, the authority that God has given us in the lives of our families um, and, and how to walk in that authority and, uh, w- with God's help in as godly a way as we possibly can. And, and one of the things I would just encourage you is dads, like use this season to, to, to walk in and lead your family in the things of this season. And like when, when our culture and when our families are naturally continually pointing to the, the, the incarnation of Jesus, the, the birth of Jesus, the message of who Jesus is, that he came to save uh, a, a world that was in sin and error pining, that as dads, we get to proclaim that message uh, to our family. And we have the responsibility to proclaim that message to uh, our family. And we should embrace that and we should walk in that authority. Uh, what, what, what a great opportunity to provide a good, godly authority in our family. And if, if I'm not careful, just in my family, because I have a wife that's so intentional with all kinds of things, especially uh, around this season, I can just pass that off. And I just, man, our, our kids are, they, they, they read the Bible a lot, even just in the midst of school. They do a lot of Advent things, focusing on uh, the birth of Jesus that can be completely separate of me. And I can be like, man, that's getting done and then miss the opportunity to walk in the authority that God has given me. Uh, not to take over those things, but to, to add um, and, and, and provide for my kids in that way. So whatever it is, maybe you're a boss, uh, maybe you're a dad, maybe you have authority and influence in, in people's lives to, to walk in that um, in a godly way to provide uh, that example. And then, you know, kind of some ancillary things that, that uh, Peter is getting at here. If you look at, at verse 14, it really shows, ideally, what government should be. Um, he said, whether it be to, well, I'm going to go back to 13 and just read it through. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Um, and here's the thing. The government that Peter is submitting to and the government that we uh, are called to submit to 
often gets this wrong. But the ideal of government would be that the government would look at what blesses a society and say, this is good. And look at what is harmful to a society and says, this is bad. And obviously we do that. We have laws. We have laws that uh, punish evil and uh, hope, hope to restrain evil and hope to encourage good. Uh, and then again, um, the, the government, any government throughout history uh, gets this wrong on, on so many different uh, occasions. But this is the ideal that we should uh, desire uh, in government. Um, and the reality is, as Christians, we can submit to what is good and right while disagreeing with and not participate, uh, while disagreeing with and not participating in all of the laws of our land that are opposed to God's word. Um, even if the government gets this wrong, uh, we don't have to. And, and we should still celebrate what is good and condemn what is evil. When I talk about cultural things, and uh, I don't always get this right, but that is my desire. When things are going on in, my, in, in the culture that we live in, the only thing I, I really hope and try to not lead you in any of my opinions and my preferences, my hope and the hope of us is to celebrate what God celebrates and to condemn what God condemns. And when we see that clearly happen in our culture, I think we should point those things out not in a way that is distracting or uh, unhelpful, but in a way uh, we, we, we should never, again, I think I said this a couple, few weeks ago, we should never apologize for what God's word does not apologize for. Uh, and we should be able to state clearly what God's word does state clearly. And now, again, man, there's gray areas, there's wisdom, there's, it's not always, sometimes it's super clear and sometimes it's not, uh, but the hope of the church should be to do this very thing. Uh, when we see the government celebrating something good, when we see something good happening in our culture, praise God for that. And when we see evil happening in our culture, uh, we should be able to condemn and say those things uh, as well. We don't need to apologize for what God's word does not apologize uh, for. Uh, but again, if we're honest, much of our lack of submission is not because people in authority are asking us to sin. So if you think about we're living as free people and we're supposed to use that free freedom to subject to, to submit to the authorities in our life, including the government, much of that is not because people are asking us to sin. Just here's one super simple example that proves this point. Speed limits. Is it sinful to speed? Or well, is it sinful to not speed? You, you're, I mean, you really struggle with that first one. Uh, but surely it's not sinful to not speed unless you're in the left lane. Then, you know, let's stop doing that. Uh, but uh, not for my sake, for other people's sake. Uh, but uh, but it's, it's just a clear, like, it's not sinful to go the speed limit, but yet how many of us do that? How many of us, you know, struggle with doing that very thing? And how many of us would get mad at, uh, well, Joey out there, if he pulled us over for going five, five miles over or 10 miles over, he's like, I wasn't speeding that much. I was just speeding a little, like it's just a cultural norm uh, to, to speed and, and to feel like there is nothing wrong with that. And, and we, we don't want to submit to that. Um, the, again, the point being that that is a good picture of a lot of our struggle with submission. I don't, maybe I should, I don't really care how much you speed or not. But I'm using it as an example to show that we struggle to submit to authority, not because authority is asking us to sin, but because we have our own ideas that we think are better. Uh, and we stand above the authority, and we don't want to submit to them. And we have passions and desires. Again, speeding is a great example. One of the, why do we speed? Well, what passion and desire is overcoming us in that moment to, to make us be more productive or more effective or not to be content uh, with that moment in time uh, in that place, whatever is going on in our life? I was actually, what John Piper had this very example when he was talking about this and, and only his John Piper way. He was like, why aren't we just content and happy in the Lord, loving Jesus, going 55, even when it doesn't make sense? Um, why, are we, why are we not doing that? Uh, again, maybe a light, silly example, but, but a lot of our lack of submission to the bosses we have, to the authorities in our life, to the government uh, in our life, uh, is not because they're asking us to sin, but because uh, we don't uh, want to submit. Um, and so free people that are serving God and not using their freedom as a cover-up for evil are free to submit to the authority in our lives. And, and if it wasn't clear, I just want to say I, I really struggle with this. I, have this. I have this rebellious tendency against things I don't understand. 
uh, when, especially with authority in my life. Like if I can't see how it makes sense, I don't want to do it. And unfortunately, often in my life, I'm not going to do it uh, because I, I don't understand it and it doesn't make sense to me. And I do what I said we all do. Like, oh, they're stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. I don't need to submit to that. Um, but in reality, the, 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 like what joy does that bring into my life? Um, there, there's, there's a struggle there with me that I continually need to uh, lay down. Um, so submitting to the authority in our lives for the Lord's sake leads to verse 15, which is one of the whys, one of the whys of why we should submit even when we don't understand, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Um, even if you think about uh, culturally, uh, in, in Asia Minor, these Christians are being criticized. They're like, man, these people are stupid. They don't know what they're, the, like Christians are, all kinds of horrible things are being said about Christians. And Peter is saying, hey, y'all should be an example. Like they're criticizing you, you're saying that, but they should be able to criticize you and say you and actually not be able to point to something really in your life that's going on. They have all these thoughts about what's going on. They, they, and they had some weird thoughts. They thought uh, Christians were cannibals because of communion. They thought they're eating flesh and drinking blood. Uh, what's going on here? But when they point to what actually is going on, oh, they're remembering that this man died and they believe that he died for their sin. They believe that they rebelled, that they, they didn't, it wasn't true. They couldn't really say that. Or they have said this before, but they would call Christians atheists because at the time everybody believed in all kinds of gods and Christians just believed in one God. And so they were like, they were less, less God believing than most of the people around them. So they were called atheists. Uh, and, and then again, when you explore that claim, they'd realize, oh no, they actually do uh, believe in God. They just don't believe in this, uh, that there's a God for everything and anything. And so in that same way, as so many people do, like, oh, Christians are a bunch of bigots. Oh, Christians don't care, really care about uh, the poor or care about uh, slavery or care about uh, the refugee or care about society as a whole. So many people often say those very things, but they should be able to look at the lives of real Christians and not be able to find that that is true. And here's the thing, throughout history, it really hasn't been true. Now, I'm not, people that are real Christians and people that profess Christ have done horrible things, uh, have done really horrible things. Um, they, and we, as Christians, as a culture, we, we should not sweep any of those uh, under the rug or, not, uh, or ignore those uh, in any way. But there's so many Christians, so many ordinary pastors, so many ordinary Christians that are never, their names are never going to trend on Twitter. They're never going to have a popular podcast made over them. Um, and they're just day in and day out loving God and loving people and, and in that way are having a massive impact on the culture uh, at large. Uh, that is uh, the reality. And, and we should be able to point to these people and, and see the actual receipts in their life of things that they do for uh, the culture and society at large. Not every Christian can do everything, but collectively we are able to do quite a bit and have done and continue to do uh, quite a bit. And money isn't everything, but if you just uh, think about money, I actually saw this tweet uh, from Scott Sauls this week. It says this. He was at a Barna conference, a, a place that does all kinds of uh, studies. It says Christian philanthropy. You good? Okay. Uh, Christian philanthropy accounted for 70% of all American philanthropy in 2022 at $300 billion total. Christians also outgave the U.S. government in addressing global poverty. And, and he elaborates, uh, uh, the Barna, there's a Barner article that elaborates on this reality. It says, it's easy to overlook this giving because it comes not in mega gifts from billionaires, but rather in millions of $50 checks written by faithful donors. Um, and, and that is, uh, Peter is saying that is an apologetic that is something that is, is a reality, that it's okay for that to even be a reason because we want to show that we are free people that get to, to give. Uh, we don't give to prove ourselves or to say, hey, look at us. Again, we give because we live as free people redeemed by the work of Jesus. And you can't read your Bible. It's almost on every page that God looks at the people that our culture doesn't look at. 
that the culture wants to turn from, the marginalized, the poor, the refugee, those, like, if you just read the Old Testament, you can't read it without seeing that the people that, that our culture tends to turn from, that we tend to turn from, we have a God that runs to those very people. He looks to them, he runs to them, he, he has come to redeem and to save them, uh, and we have a God that does that, and so for thousands of years, Christians have taken that model. Like, that's what we do. That's, that's who we are because that is who uh, our God is. And when Christians aren't doing that, we're rebelling against our, who our God is, uh, not uh, living it out. Uh, these things, just all of those kinds of realities are uh, just that first exhortation of verse 17. It's the Christian's desire, if you look in verse 17, to honor everyone. That's who we are to be. There's not one person that doesn't deserve some kind of honor. And again, I'm not ignoring the reality that throughout history, Christians and non-Christians alike have done horribly dishonorable things. But even, in, but even the fact that we have a, a category for dishonorable things means that there's some intrinsic understanding that we were meant for more. And this is what the Bible says, that we were made in the image of God. There's no person from any time in history, from any place that hasn't been made in the image of God, and they're all due the honor that comes with that. And, and one of the clear ways Christians do this is by realizing that the gospel is for everyone. There is no one we should keep this gospel from. Our, our student ministry is learning this right now as they study Jonah. Uh, uh, obviously, a story about um, God having compassion and wanting to redeem a people and Jonah not being on board with that. Surely that's stupid Jonah. We would never do that. We, we would never have people that we struggle to like or we have, oh, Jonah, I forget. I was like, why are you laughing so hard? I was like, because your name's Jonah. Um, and then, uh, but surely we would never struggle with, oh, I, I don't act and look and, and uh, am like this kind of person. Surely we would never struggle in that way. Uh, but, but obviously we do. Obviously, we struggle in, in all of those very ways. Uh, may God send whoever those people are in our minds in droves, in droves that are, that are ready to hear the gospel <laughs> so that we might see God's saving grace and that our pride might be humbled. Uh, we, we all struggle with that kind of reality, and I pray that God would move in this way. It's, it's, Paul says it clearly in 1 Corinthians 9, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Isn't Paul's taking submission to a whole new level? He's like, I'm submitting to everybody. I, I, whoever, I'm submitting to all people. Why? So that they might know this love that Jesus has shown me. It's captivated me. It's saved me. It's changed everything about who I am. And so I'm submit to everybody that they might have a glimpse and a hope of understanding this love. That is who Paul is and what he's doing. And so in these last three exhortations, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. The first two are, are kind of connected and the last two are kind of connected. Honor everyone, but there's a particular way we're actually to interact with fellow Christians. Um, and then fear God, uh, but honor the emperor. There's, there's a, a different approach that we have to those different authorities in our life. And again, even as we think about loving the brotherhood, just this idea that there should be this camaraderie of what God is doing uh, in the world, through, in the church. That there's this camaraderie, that this shared experience, the shared passion, the shared desire uh, that, that creates this a deep kind of love for one another. And one of the things I would just encourage encourage you, and it, I'm obviously I'm saying this at Northbrook, but wherever you find this kind of love, wherever you find this kind of camaraderie, don't take it lightly, because it's not always easy to find. And so I would encourage you to, to plant deeply in the church that God has called you to, and when you find that in a church, hopefully by God's grace, as I know many people have found it here, man, don't take that for granted. There's many good reasons to move. There's many good reasons to leave and go to another church. But man, this, this has to be, uh, as we make decisions for our life and for our families, this should be up there. Like, man, I have a great community. I don't need to just assume that's going to happen uh, somewhere else. God has provided this in such a beautiful way. And I, I, I say that as, as a pastor, either your pastor or a pastor who wants you to flourish and thrive in life. 
Um, and, and I see so many people that really even just in the church hopping culture kind of forsake that and flounder and struggle significantly. Uh, and I don't want that for me. I don't want that uh, for anyone. And, and here's, what, here's one of the things to kind of press against that and to love the brotherhood is to press in and plant deeply and don't think about the next two to six months and what this is going to look like for your life, but think about the next 10 to 20 years uh, and the fruit that God might bear in your life uh, from doing that. Um, and then, uh, again, we're to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, but we're to fear God and honor the emperor. Honoring the emperor is just straightforward. There's honor due the person leading uh, the Roman Empire. We should honor everyone, but there's a natural difference in the way I would honor the emperor and honor a neighbor coming over for dinner. We just, and, and the Bible saying that that's okay. Uh, I remember when I lived in Houston, we, my mom did the nails of Jeff Bagwell's first wife, girlfriend at the time. He's a Hall of Fame uh, first baseman uh, for the Houston Astros. Well, was uh, a long time ago. Y'all probably have no idea who he is. But it was, he was, they uh, said he was, uh, like they were on a date and he was coming over so me and my older brothers could meet him. And, I, to this day, I've never cleaned so much so quickly in my life. And by cleaned, I mean we threw everything in a room that he was not going to uh, go into. And there was just a difference in Jeff Bagwell coming to our house uh, than someone else uh, coming to our house. Now, Jeff Bagwell is no emperor, um, but there's, it's just the reality. If any uh, president, any alive president were to come to my house, there, there is an honor that I should show them uh, because of that. And that, that is just the reality, and the Bible embraces that, and, and we should uh, as well. We should honor everyone, but culturally show appropriate honor uh, where it is due. But fear is reserved for God, the one we are free to serve with every aspect of our lives. And again, we have a choice to serve God or to serve something else. There's, no one gets out of that choice. You're serving God or you're serving something else. Let me reiterate the main idea as we close. We struggle to submit to authority because we're enslaved. Evil, sinful desires will keep you continually wanting more. Emotions will keep asking you for more and more. Worldly pursuits will promise life, the life you want if you just have a little bit more of whatever that pursuit is. God is the only one who has given all of himself for you. Everything else will continue to ask for more and more of you. Consider that as we Look to Jesus. He'll have the last words of the sermon. John 8, 31 through 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray.